0: You can go ahead and be seated. We're reading a long section of scripture again today, so we'll read with, with reverential hearts, but we won't be standing today. Turn your Bibles to Exodus 28. Exodus chapter 28, we'll be reading the entire chapter this morning. Follow along as I read. Exodus 28, verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, from among the people of Israel, to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. If you, if, if, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful, whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it. And be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler, engraves signets. So shall you engrave the two two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work, in the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in two. Set in it four rows of stones. A roll of sardius, topaz, and carb- carbuncle shall be the first row. In the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate and an amethyst in the fourth row a barrel an onyx and a jasper they shall be set in gold filigree there shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel they shall be like signets each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes you shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece, and you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree, and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seams above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, so that it shall lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out. So that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Let's pray to begin our time this morning. Father, We come again to a section of scripture that may seem far off and removed from our daily life. And yet we trust that all of these things have been written down for our instruction. Our instruction in who you are. Our instruction in who we are. Our instruction in who Christ is. We have things to learn here and I pray that you would teach us through this text. Cause us to be more Christ-like and more Christ-honoring in our lives and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, children, you can be dismissed for children's church if you haven't already started wandering out. A whole chapter devoted to the clothing of Israel's priests. Just as last week we looked at Jesus our God's specifics for the tabernacle, its construction, its beauty, the things that go within it. Here we now see the commission of the priests and a description of how these priests are to be dressed. But to bring us into this text, this, this is not simply a text helping us understand how priests in Israel back in the day were to be clothed. This is not simply an old covenant priesthood text. There's stuff here for our Christian life. And we're going to get to it. And a lot, of, a lot of this sermon is going to be devoted to it. There's stuff here for our Christian life. First, we're going to find that this text lays a wonderful foundation for us in how we understand the ministry of Jesus Christ. How do we understand Jesus' high priestly ministry to us? This text lays a great foundation. And secondly, this text lays a great foundation for how we are to understand our ministry currently as, as Peter would say, a kingdom of God. Of priests. As those who walk this earth as God's representatives now, how do we walk? How do we clothe ourselves? So, yes, it might seem obscure, but this great text, this belabored text about how the priests are to be clothed, is going to set the trajectory for how we clothe ourselves. Hopefully, not in dresses and bells but in a lot of detail for us. How are we as Christians to clothe ourselves now? How are we to walk as priests in this world? So, three parts here this morning for us. First, we're going to look at their clothes. Then we're going to look at his clothes, look at Christ's priestly ministry. And then we're going to look at our clothes, okay? Simple breakdown. Their clothes, his clothes, our clothes. Let's begin, and we're going to spend a good chunk of our time here in chapter 28 of Exodus. How were the priests to be clothed? How did the old covenant priesthood dress, and why? To give a summary of this chapter, it's really speaking of God commissioning and clothing his priests. You can see it in verse 1. God God establishes the priestly line from Aaron, Moses' brother. It naturally follows that after God has instructed how the place is to be built, that then he would instruct how it is to be filled with a priest, just as God made the garden and then made Adam to be there. So now he is instructed how the tabernacle is to be made and now how the priest is to be there. And there's this this key insight we need to tune in here between verses 1 and verses 2. Notice the relationship between the natural identity of Aaron and his sons And their clothed identity. Okay? Look at verse 1 again. Bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him. And notice what it says from among the people of Israel. These priests are to be in and of themselves ordinary Israelites. This is crucial for their priestly service. If they are to represent Israel, they need to be from Israel. So in of themselves, their natural identity is ordinary, common, non-spectacular. But then look at verse 2. What is the clothed identity to be of these priests? Aaron and his sons are to be clothed in holy garments. What does that signify for us? Holy garments. Holy, set apart. They move from ordinary in their natural identity to in their clothed identity being set apart for service. And how is this holiness to be communicated? It goes on to say, for glory and for beauty. How are these priests to be set apart? Their clothing is going to be glorious and beautiful. Why? Because they aren't just to represent the people, right? The priests also represent God. This is really getting us at the twofold function of how priests serve. What is the priest's role? The priest is to be a representative, a mediator of two parties, right? One, the people... And the other God. They are to be the people who stand in the gap. And represent the people in God's presence. And represent God's presence to the people. So why so much focus on the clothing of these priests? Because the clothing in all of its particularities. Serves to illustrate and enhance this function. They are mediators. They go between. They represent God to the people. And they represent the people. To God, and, and there's something here, just think about it in daily life, there's something here about how inner identity expresses itself self in external clothing, right? We see this through scripture, and we see it in our daily life. Think about it in scripture. Why are Adam and Eve clothed? Because now their identity has changed. They've gone from innocent to now shameful in their nakedness. So they need to be clothed. The clothing actually expresses the identity. Think about um, King Solomon. What, What did King Solomon clothing say about him? Well, it said that he was a glorious and fabulously wealthy and at peace king. What did John the Baptist clothing say about him? Well, it said that he was a prophet wandering in the wilderness like Elijah and those who came before him. His identity was worn on his sleeve, or lack thereof, depending on what that looked like. Think about it in our daily life now. Our culture is filled with a diversity of individualized identities, right? The goal of our culture is to be yourself, to be unique. And how does that show itself in clothing? Everybody's trying to push boundaries. Everybody's trying to look different. Everybody's trying to look different from one another. It it happens in our daily life. Whether you're an athlete, a skater punk, an academic, a Wisconsinite, Packer fan, whatever it is, right? Your understanding of who you are tends to show up on your clothing. And that's the case with these priests. That inner identity of somebody who has been called out for a specific service shows up and is to show up in their clothing. His priests, God's priests, are to function as his representatives and as the people 's representatives, and that shows up in their clothing, so with that pattern in mind let 's take some time to understand chapter twenty eight a bit i 'm intentionally not going to teach you through this section in such a way that you 're going to be able to just like draw the garments and outline it all that to me could be a useful Sunday school class or a different study. I commend go. Go get your head on straight about how this would all fit and look together. That's perfectly fine. But what I want to do is notice how the clothing and the way it's made serves to illustrate this dual function. This mediating function of God to the people and the people to God. So first, let's begin here with the, the representing... God to the people function of the priests. We saw already in the purpose statement, these are to be holy garments. The priestly clothing is to mark them as set apart, distinct unto God, unique in amidst all the rest of the people. And, and the way that's going to happen is through these garments being glorious and beautiful. These two words really function here as synonymous parallel. They're like double punch. Wham, wham, right? They're to be glorious. They're to be beautiful. They double up the sense of radiance, of splendor, of majesty that is meant to be communicated here. Why? Why for glory and for beauty? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Who are they representing? A God who reigns in all of his beauty, as we just sang. How glorious, how radiant is he? Well, we're going to make clothes that can touch however much clothing can possibly touch that truth. We're going to make it that way, right? And that's the design of these clothes. Is to, to present in human terms, in earthly terms, the radiance, the glory, the beauty of the God being represented. Moses and Israel sang about this back in chapter 15. They said, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? Like like the tabernacle as a structure, these priests are to be clothed in such a way that God's glory is radiated to the people, is demonstrated to the people. And so let's notice some of the particulars. How does this clothing accomplish it? What do we see about God in this clothing? How do we see through the clothing to the God that, they are, that the clothing is representing. Well, really, I want to draw out four things here. Uh, four things. Let's begin, firstly, by noticing that all of the cloth is to be made from the nicest and most precious material. Blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. This would have been wealthy, nice cloth. But notice even further beyond that, it is to be inlaid with gold. So not only is this just fabric that looks nice, this is going to be fabric that sparkles. Fabric that radiates. Fabric that communicates glory. The cloth itself is to remind the people of the glory of God. Look, secondly, at the emphasis... Several times it reiterates this, that this cloth is to be put together, these clothes are to be put together in skilled work. Now, we are conditioned by a world filled with Amazon and Walmart, right? Skilled work, in its context here and still today, takes painstaking, meticulous craftsmanship. For God to say that this work was to be skilled was to commission a group of people to devote their lives to excellence, to capacities that were unique and profoundly beautiful, to put together clothing that would say something about God. Now think about that. What does that say about our God? That in clothing, he wants the craftsmanship to be skillful doesn't that remind you of his character? When God creates, what's the result? It is good. It is excellent. It is beautiful. It is skillful. So if clothing is going to represent him to the people, it needs to be done in such a way that his character as the ultimate skillful creator is represented. Sloppy craftsmanship would proclaim something untrue about him. Third, let's see in verse 15. Now, this is, this is an interesting one, but think about this. Verse 15, we see that these clothes are to have cohesion. In other words, they're to match. The breast piece was to be made in the same style as the ephod. Don't glance over that. These are precious details for us. So all of you who um, love to take great care in putting together matching cohesive outfits, this is your text. (laughs) This is the text that justifies your existence and the hours you spend looking at your wardrobe. (laughs) The cohesion of these garments, the way that they fit together, the way that they matched, was also meant to communicate something. Think about it. Perhaps... The people were meant to see that God is a God of order, not confusion. That he is a God of skilled planning, not haphazard labor. They were meant to see, even in these subtle details, the character of their God. Now, let's move to the fourth. This is potentially the most heady and tricky of all of them. Rob raised this issue last week. The issue of these precious stones. Did you notice that in the text? All this listing that I really struggle to pronounce of precious stones, a whole assortment of radiant gems. What's the deal with these precious stones? Well, you may say I don't understand what the deal is at all. Well, let me let me raise the, the question here. There's a pattern, if you're paying attention. For these stones and things like it to show up at particular times across the story of Scripture. Let me highlight a few key instances. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. Could name a whole lot of things about that place. Why those things? Rob mentioned Ezekiel 28 last week and the week before a little bit. It says, you were in Eden. How does it describe Eden? The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, and emerald, and coal, And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. What's the issue? Why are these precious jewels being highlighted in relation to Eden? Go from the beginning of the story, okay, to the end of the story. In Revelation chapter 21, the new Jerusalem is described in curious ways. clear as crystal moving on to verse 18 the wall of the city was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel now that's beautiful but do you notice the pattern doesn't it make you scratch your head here in our text in Exodus the priests are to have these jewels on them, on their shoulders and on their chests. Why? Why this continual pattern of precious jewels in these places? Well, in order to come to an answer, I think we're helped by two more texts. Consider these two texts. These are not about earthly places. These two texts are about heavenly place. Ezekiel one twenty six. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. What does the throne of God look like to human eyes? A precious jewel. Exodus twenty-four, ten, And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And so, we ask the question, why do the jewels show up on the priest's garments? Why do the jewels show up in Eden? Why do the jewels show up in the new Jerusalem? There's something here about where God's glory rests on earth. He represents it somehow. Because God's glory in heaven looks like precious jewels. Do you see the connection there? The clothing of the priests here are to radiate the glory of God in heaven. I love the way Revelation twenty-one eleven puts it. Just just hone in on this way of seeing this connection. The glory of God is radiant, like a most precious jewel. And so the precious jewels set on the priest's ephod and breastpiece serve to communicate a bit of that radiance to the people. You guys see in that the glory of God communicated through earthly things to earthly eyes, how is he going to do it? Well, partly he's going to do it through these jewels. And so this clothing in these four different ways and more is meant to illustrate to us its function of representing God to the people. These priests are to stand before the people with the glory of God being reminded being shown, being illustrated, being enhanced to the people. But these stones, particularly, also serve a dual function, and this transitions us to that second way these clothes are supposed to serve, as mediating, as representative clothing. The jewels are not just supposed to be by themselves, right? Do you notice in the text? They are to be engraved. So not only is the priestly garment to radiate a bit of glory, but they actually are to be engraved with names. And here is where we see these sets of clothes representing the people to God. In verse 12, and then again in verse 29, we see that these jewels are to be engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Think about it in all of the world. Only 12 names get listed in the presence of God. Right? Only the 12 names that are listed that are engraved on these stones go into the presence of God. And why is that? Why is that? Because these are the ones that God has called to himself. It is these 12 tribes that God has called out of Egypt by his might. And now it is the 12 tribes that he is calling into fellowship with himself through the tabernacle and through the ministry of the priests. Not a single one of these names deserves it. And yet here they are listed in the presence of God these priestly garments both communicate the glorious presence of God to the people and bring the people into the glorious presence into the glorious presence of God you see that in the in the language spoken of here verse 12 you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance Verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Just as Aaron's clothes are meant to communicate God, Aaron's clothes are meant to bring to remembrance the people. The clothing of the priests function as the priests function in this dual mediation representing God and representing the people. Now, What a function. I mean, think about that. Clothing communicates God to the people and the people to God. Can you think of any human being that has ever worn something more significant in the history of humanity? Not a king, not a queen, not a movie star, not a fashionista, not a business tycoon. Nobody has ever worn such significant garments as these priests in the desert, in the middle of the promised land. <laughs> Nobody but one. Such glorious clothing has only ever been outdone by one. And we read about that one in John 1, 14. The word became flesh. So let's think about the clothing of our Savior. The high priestly clothing of Israel has only been surpassed by our great high priest. And like the priests before him, the clothing Jesus put on fits the nature of his ministry and illustrates for us the nature of of his ministry. Let's think of two truths here. Just two truths. You could expand it further, but let's just two truths here to think about in terms of how does what Jesus put on as our high priest communicate truth to us about his ministry? Truth number one. Christ is clothed as our forever High priest. Now, think about this. Those ordinary priests back in Israel would have woken up, put those garments on, gone in to serve, left, taken them off. Do you realize how significant that is? Their mediation was temporary, their priesthood was temporary. It was on one time and off the next, and eventually it was forever done. When one high priest put on a permanent priestly gown. Something that he would never take off. When Christ put on our flesh. He forever put on something that would represent us before God. You see the significance there? There's no waking up for Jesus and putting on his priestly robes. He is forever in God's presence bearing our humanity in the presence of God. He is the God-man forever representing God to us and representing us to God. Think about the so we're represented to him, okay? Let's get that dual service here. We are represented before God by the fact that he is bearing our flesh. But look back at John 1 again, John 1, 14. How is it that Jesus, in taking on our flesh, represents God to us as our priest? What do his clothes tell us, right? Look at the the text again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The flesh Jesus put on was ordinary. It was like all of us. And yet it communicated extraordinary things. Do you see that in the text? Just as the, the priestly garb in the Old Covenant was to communicate glory to the people, so Jesus, through the human flesh that he took on, communicates glory to us. And look at the nature of that glory in the text. It's, it's not like his skin was shining yet. It's not like he was, you know, wearing really pretty clothes yet. It, w- it was that we beheld in that flesh the grace and truth. Of God. It was beholding Jesus as he showed us the character, the nature of God. You see that? The human flesh showed character, it showed heart, it showed who he was. It didn't shine with radiance. That's important because that translates to how we, as priests, demonstrate God's glory to the world. But that's the first one here. You see that his clothing functions as a forever priest. He will not take off our flesh. And in that way, he will forever use our flesh to demonstrate God's glory to the world, to human eyes. And he will forever use that flesh to represent us before the throne. Let's think about this second truth here. Truth number two. Christ is clothed as our global high priest. Again, think of the comparison here between the old covenant and the new. The old covenant priests put on clothing that said 12 names. And if you were to be mediated, if you were to be served by those priests, you had to be represented within those 12 names. When Jesus put on human flesh, Who did he begin to represent? All human flesh who is redeemed in him. In the resurrected body of Jesus Christ is represented all of those who through union with him are resurrected to newness of life. All of his new humanity is represented. And that includes everybody from every tribe, tongue, language, and people who come to that one place for representation. You see the significance of that? In the very fact that Jesus took on the priestly garb of our nature, he redeems all of those who are united to him with that nature. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background. You can be represented before the throne of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is clothed as our global high priest and he's clothed as our forever high priest. Now you could go further and I would encourage you. There's a lot to meditate on here. When you start thinking of his flesh as his priestly clothing, there's a lot of thoughts. And I would encourage you to keep thinking. But let's transition here to start drawing it home for us. We've seen their clothes, the, the priest's clothes in the Old Covenant. We've seen Christ and his clothing as our global and forever high priest. Now let's look at our clothes. How are we as Christians called to think about what we wear, what we put on, what we clothe ourselves in? And this is a topic that has had a lot of pulpit time in the history of the church, right? What should we be wearing? We should be wearing pants or not pants. We should be wearing dresses or not dresses. We should be wearing polo shirts or suits. We should, you know, whatever it is. It's, get, it's had a lot of time. And I do want in our second point here, our second implication, to, to have some discussion about the actual clothing we put on. Because it does matter. The apostles talk about it. But there's something more primary here I want us to draw us to spend more time thinking about. You'll notice that overwhelmingly in the New Testament, when the idea of clothing ourselves is presented, it's presented first as an inner clothing. Clothe yourself in the glory of God. That's the point here. Clothe yourself in the glory of God. Colossians 3.12 Put on then, what are we to put on? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you hear the kind of priestly language there? Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I'm not saying that Paul is only thinking about priesthood there, but do you hear the priestly language? How are we to represent God in this world? By first and foremost, putting on godliness. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. I find this text significant because it's Peter in First Peter who says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Right? First Peter five, five clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What are we supposed to clothe ourselves in? Humility. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Again, I'm not saying he's thinking all these things necessarily, but man, do you see the parallels in language? (laughs) In God's sight, it's very precious. I just find that interesting. Where are we supposed to look as new covenant priests when it comes to how we minister as new covenant priests? Well, what is the nature of the new covenant? The nature of the new covenant, according to Jeremiah 31 and other places, is that we have new hearts, that we've been transformed from the inside out. The the heart of stone has been taken away and the heart of flesh has been given to us. And that, that means we can receive God's glory rightly, but it also means that we can be transformed from the inside out to demonstrate God's glory, to show his character, to show his nature in these ways that we as human beings can to the world. We are to clothe ourselves in godly character. And in so doing, just like we saw with Jesus displaying God's glory through his flesh and grace and truth, we can display a bit of God's glory through our flesh, in our character, in our Christ-likeness. How do new covenant priests demonstrate God's glory to the world? By Christ-like godliness. Why does it matter that we think deeply about our character as Christians because it's the primary vehicle that we have to communicate God's character to the world now it's not to say we don't speak, we're speaking all over the place that's part of our character, speaking the truth in love right? we're speaking all over the place but we are showing in our lives as well this glorious character of God and so before we move on to point two here And talk about our external clothing. And maybe some implications there. We have to get this straight. It would be contrary entirely. To the gospel. To the new covenant. To what Jesus has accomplished for us. To skip the heart. And move to the externals. Right? We have a priority at play. We are people of heart transformation. In the new covenant. So. Clothe yourself first and foremost, and care for one another, that one another be clothed first and foremost in these characteristics of godliness. Let's move secondly here and finish our time thinking about how this all plays out in our external clothing. Okay? And we will not solve the age-old question here. I'm not going to stand up here and say, this is exactly what guys should dress like. This is exactly what girls should dress like. End of story. That is just simply missing the point. What is the point? Well, I've tried to communicate it here for us. The point is, is as new covenant priests, we want to let our external flow from our internal. Let your external work to have your external match and flow from the internal dynamics of your transformed heart. How should we as Christians think about our clothing? 1 Timothy 2, 9-10. through 10, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now there's difficult Nuances we need to address here, okay? People have taken this and run with it and have made this a timeless uh, application in some unhelpful ways. There is a heart attitude here that is being expressed, right? And I think it's not just, he's not just calling women to have modesty and self-control, to be respectable. We talked about this morning, love is not unseemly, Love is not rude. Love is not trying to put ourselves forward arrogantly. That goes for all of us. And so there's a heart attitude that expresses itself in culturally appropriate ways of communication, of dress, right? Do you see that? Braided hair in our culture does not communicate immodesty, a lack of self-control or irrespectability, right? So we need to think through these nuances. And I want to commend to you, to, as a community, think through these nuances? How do we show modesty, a moderate way of dress and thinking of ourselves? How do we show self-control in our clothing? How do we show respectability in our apparel, in our culture? It's a genuinely challenging question. It's worthy of a lot of thought. We have multiple generations at work in this room, right? Multiple definitions or intuitions about what is respectable and what is not. And it's important for us as a church to think through these sorts of things. There's two real dangers I see in this final point. The, f- the first danger, I would say, is a danger of forgetting the internal priority. So you might come from a culture like a church culture like this, but there are church cultures that just seem to skip the heart and they go straight to judging the externals and they say, ah, you aren't wearing X or Y piece of clothing like we like to wear. So you must be X or Y sort of person, right? And they, they don't let the heart actually come through first and they, they skip the internal priority here. We as Christians should look at somebody and say, who is this person? What is their character? Right, If somebody comes in off the street looking, in our minds, unbecoming, are we just so consumed with that that we can't see through that to the person? We shouldn't be. We're new covenant people. We're people who are absorbed with the heart. We want to see hearts transformed by the gospel before we see any effect <laughs> happening on the external dress. We should value our treasure of new hearts more than all the clothing in the world. And we need to get that straight. That's danger number one. We cannot forget that. But danger number two, and I, th- I think if I can say in general, broad brush, is a danger for my generation. And maybe it's just a younger generation problem continually, right? The younger generation likes to always push. And they like to say, oh, no, it's about who we are as people, not what we wear on the outside. And yet, There's a danger here of forgetting that the external is connected to the internal. Otherwise, the apostles would say nothing about the external, right? We wouldn't read in 1 Timothy 2 that what is on the outside matters if the inside was the only thing that mattered, correct? As we talked about earlier, that internal identity, there's a principle there, the internal identity is always going to show up in the external. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, The hands act, and they put on clothes, right? (laughs) The internal is always going to show up on the external, and we can't forget this connection. It would seem that while the apostle understands that our internal matters more, they're still concerned that Christians think about external dress. The humble heart has to show up in how we dress. How? 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 How does humility show up in how we dress? Good question. The self-controlled heart has to show up in how we dress. The care for others has to show up in how we dress. The love of beauty has to show up in how we dress. Who we are as New Covenant believers is going to and must show up in how we dress. Now, I'm not commending that we look like a pack of countercultural weirdos. Um, unless that countercultural is simply to guard us from pushing our image out there, from tearing others down, from communicating immodesty, from leading others to sin, right? Like, in so much as there's internal hearts that are showing up, we care. The grateful heart has to show up in how we dress. There's there's tensions here, isn't there? So how, how do you have dress that looks simple and yet be a person who wears clothing that commends God's care for beauty? Tensions, right? I'm not gonna say the simple way to solve it. Work it out. Think through it. The inner dynamics are primary. But the external clothing needs to match it. And that, as new covenant priests, isn't just so that we can abide by some standard of dress. It's so that we can communicate God, a little bit of God in our clothing to the world. What is he like? What does he care for? What are his priorities? Let's think through our clothing in that relationship, right? They're close. They represent God to the people and the people to God Christ clothes he took on our nature communicating God's glory through that nature and representing us before God's glory in that nature and now our clothes we're seeking to exemplify God's character first in our hearts and then ex- ex- exuding from that into the way we dress so that the world can see a little bit of who our God is And the gospel that saves. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for getting us into texts like this. For giving us a text like Exodus 28 that causes us to slow down and think about the fact that you as our God want to communicate your glory to us. but also that you want to come near to us and draw us near to yourself. and pray that what we see in Christ would be sweet to us and how we think about the nuances of how we exemplify your character to the watching world in our clothing. I pray that those things would be done thoughtfully, lovingly, carefully, that we would bear with one another in our differing opinions and seek to strive for the character of your son. I pray these things in your name. Amen.